Welcome into Locked On Blackhawks. Today is Wednesday, August 5th, 2020. I am your host, Jack Bushman, tuning in for the 184th episode of Locked On Blackhawks. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast for free wherever you may listen to your podcast, whether that be through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. You'll be able to get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day, so please be sure to go do that. Also, please go follow our Twitter page, which can be found at capital L, capital O, underscore Blackhawks, with some really good stuff being posted there every day. All right, Lockdown Blackhawks listeners, I am now joined by Lockdown Oilers host Tom Gazzola. As I'm sure most of you know, Tom and I recorded three crossover episodes last week before the best of five series between the Hawks and Oilers began, which was a ton of fun. So, Tom, thanks for joining me this morning. How are you doing, and what are your thoughts and takeaways so far through the first two games of this best of five series? Jack, always great to do this with you. I'm doing great. Uh, beautiful day in the Big E, as we like to call it. And so far, it's been a lot of fun. What a roller coaster ride in two games. And I'm sure it just continues tonight when the Hawks and Oilers go toe to toe in game three. Game one, that was an adventure for sure. Obviously, if you're a Hawks fan, you're loving what you saw in game <laughs> one. I mean, offensive explosion from the top line. Koopa Leak, absolutely on fire in game one. Nice. And Taze was fantastic, and and Saad was a good piece of that line as well. And then the Oilers just imploded. I mean, uh, watching them in the first minute of game one, when they coughed up a couple of odd man rushes in the first minute of that game, I'm going, this is big time trouble. This is one of those games where it's going to go sideways in a hurry. And then they got a they got a lead in that game on a power play goal by McDavid, mm-hmm. McDavid really early. And I'm like, that is such a phony lead. And sure, sure enough, uh, you get Mike Smith serving up the Chicago deep dish pizza behind his own net. <laughs> Dylan Strom banks it in, and, and he basically opened up the floodgates for the Blackhawks. But quite frankly, Jack, I think that it didn't matter if Smith coughed that one up. I think Chicago was was playing better. They were the better team the entire game. And, and just the Oilers were not prepared mentally and physically, and, and Chicago was going to win that game just with the way the Oilers came out and played. So... They bounced back. It was it was interesting to see how they bounced back because people were wondering if this this team, uh, there was some people in the media questioning Connor McDavid's heart. Some of them questioned his post-game interviewing skills and and calling him out for that. And of course <laughs> that's clickbait and and not you know, not to name names, but that's definitely clickbait. That's classic stirring the pot. And uh, and that's the game outside the game, if you will. And McDavid responded in the best way possible by uh, just lighting up the Hawks in game two. And quite frankly, they just the Oilers really tightened things up, Jack. And I don't think I don't think the answer was Miko Koskinen that that was the big difference maker. It was the Oilers were so atrocious in their own zone. In the game in general, they were one and done in the offensive zone. Anytime they got into the Hawks zone, you could have thrown Ed Belfour, <laughs> early 90s Blackhawks in there. You could have thrown Glenn Hall in there. You could have thrown Tony Esposito in that for the Oilers. You could have thrown Curtis Joseph. I don't care who you could have thrown in there. Grant Fear. that's how poorly the, the Oilers played that. If you threw any of those legends in net that I just named, for the Oilers in that game, they would have lost. That's how poorly they played in game one. And they they cleaned it up a bit in game two. But quite frankly, Jack, I think Chicago has a chance in this series and a chance 
to take this thing a distance and who knows who wins it. Yeah, it was certainly a big response from the Oilers defensively as well. We heard Oilers head coach Dave Tippett kind of call out Oscar Clefbaum and Adam Larson after that first game. And I thought they were much better. So was Darnell Nurse and Ethan Bear. And also, Tom, I thought your guys' penalty kill really uh, rose to the occasion. A lot of blocked shots out there. Blackhawks weren't able to get anything going on their four-man advantages on Monday after cashing in for three power play goals in Saturday's Game 1 contest. I think that was a huge difference maker in the outcome of Game 2. Jack, face-offs were, were key in Game 1, and it seemed like the Blackhawks were doing a great job winning face-offs clean in the offensive zone, and then it was bang-bang plays, which would eventually lead to goals, some of them immediate, immediately, some of them a little bit later. But the, the Chicago Blackhawks were actually, they were beating the Oilers to the pucks in Game 1. That's, that's not necessarily what happened in Game 2. Uh, the Hawks were more physical in Game 1 in terms of, I'm not saying big hits or anything like that, but physical in terms of getting into Oilers players' equipment, uh, grinding things out, winning the battles, mm-hmm. and just playing a tougher game overall to the point where you could just see that Chicago was way more determined than than Edmonton was in Game 1. And I think the script was flipped a bit in Game 2. You know, it was an eye-opener for the Oilers. They got shellacked at home, and, and it was a, a lesson that, that reminded the Oilers that this is the postseason. Nobody gives you anything in the postseason. You're not out just out there to play like a men's league style game. It's not game 46 in mid-January on a Tuesday night in Minnesota. This is the postseason. If you lose a couple of games and you don't show up, you're done. See you later. Your season's over. And if you do not provide the effort, that's exactly what happens. And I think that was that was a wake-up call for the Oilers. And, and quite frankly, I'll, I'll reiterate this, Jack. It, it could still go anyway. Uh, anyone's game tonight and uh, anyone's series by the end of it. Blackhawks and Oilers are knotted up at one and one through two games so far. Big game three tonight at 930 Central Time. Lucky for you, Tom, you guys got it at 730 where I'm staying up till midnight, 1 a.m. Then I got to <laughs> write a post game report after. So it's a late night here in Chicago, but it's definitely going to be an interesting contest tonight. I think a big key for the Blackhawks that we didn't see in game two was they weren't ready uh, they weren't ready right out of the gate. We saw Connor McDavid score two goals in the first four minutes and five seconds. And Tom, us Blackhawks fans knew that the Oilers were going to come with a strong push right out of the gate. And you know the Blackhawks had to be aware of that as well. And regardless, they won- they wound up down two to nothing to the hands of the best player of the NHL, taking over and doing what he does. And I thought Connor McDavid, although he was tremendous in game one as well he racked up four points in a losing effort he really took over this game from the get-go and was impressive and without a doubt the best player on the ice and the Blackhawks really need to key on him going forward I think that's obvious but what other Oilers were impressive to you in game two Tom not like we talked about Connor McDavid a ton but we didn't hear much from other guys because McDavid really took the took the scene for himself yeah and and that second goal was a thing of beauty. The first goal, too, the way I described it is it looked like when you play street hockey as a kid and you're using an old tennis ball that's got all the fuzz worn off and it just bounces like crazy. And, you know, there's that one kid that can just handle the tennis ball and it doesn't affect him and he can score <laughs> a million a times. Trippy. It was amazing how he how he scored that second goal, too. I, when we were watching, I went to the game. 
Um, and I was like, was that not a hand pass by Josh Archibald? It turns out McDavid flipped over his right. stick and knocked the puck. That was just phenomenal. And that's, that's what he does. But Jack, to your question, there were other players that were really good in that game. And consistently over two games, the fourth line from the Oilers has actually been a pleasant surprise. They're big body guys in Jujar Kara, Alex Chason, and James Neal. And and they're kind of asserting themselves physically. They're not the fastest guys. They don't skate particularly well, but they know how to play playoff hockey. And Chason and Neal in particular, Jujar Kara has been around a little bit. He was around in 2017. And, and they are kind of pushing the Hawks around a bit because the Hawks aren't a particularly big team. Neither is no. their defense. And, and we saw them with those two quick strikes, 40 seconds apart in the third period. That put the game on ice because I truly felt at 4-3 going into the third, Jack, that the way Chicago looked, anytime they get it to the offensive zone, there was a chance that if they funneled a puck to the net, it could get in and slip past Miko Koskinen. I look at the cuckoo goal, busted coverage. It looked like a goal out of game one that the Oilers gave up where they were crossed up in their own zone left the guy wide open, let him walk in and take a shot. And then you look at Ole Mata's goal, and, and you know I know it went off of Chris Russell. He went down to block it, but it was a soft goal. And Definitely. And then until those two quick strikes from the fourth line, I really thought that Chicago was in that game and that it was anybody's game. I know that Connor McDavid was dominant, but still, I, I, I was like, you know, the orders aren't out of the woods just yet and uh, those two goals really did it but the Oilers need to tighten up defensively one more time you mentioned Clefbaum and Larson struggled mightily in game one cleaned it up a bit in game two but still not particularly great so that has to happen for the Oilers and if the Blackhawks I mean they have the offensive weapons the young guys to me Kirby Doc Jack my goodness he is going to be a player he's like he's like Getzlaff but not quite with the same mean streak when Getzloff was in his prime, but you know, I'm sure when he gets his groove at the NHL level, he'll, he'll develop that mean streak and know how to assert himself with that big body. Uh, there's some great up and coming talent on the Blackhawks. And quite frankly, they're proving themselves to be dangerous already in this playoff series. Yeah. Kirby doc was really good in game two. He had a multi-point performance as a 19 year old. Love to hear that for us Blackhawks fans. And not only was he really solid while on the power play, moving the puck around and just gaining confidence overall in the offensive zone, he's winning a lot of board battles to create yep. opportunities. On Slager or on Ole Mata's goal, he won a board battle after holding the puck, I believe, against two Oilers in the corner for about 15, 20 seconds while the Blackhawks were able to get a change. They wind up winning that battle, and Ole Mata puts the puck in the back of the net. And then same thing on Slater Cuckoo's goal. He wound up winning a battle, and the puck finds Cuckoo in an open zone with no one around. So Kirby Doc's really been a difference maker on that third line with Alex Dabrinkit so far. Patrick Kane was double shifting with that line in game two as Drake Kajula was suspended for his illegal check to the head of Tyler Ennis. John Quenville interestingly slotted into the Blackhawks lineup, Tom. I'm not really sure what head coach Jeremy Colleton was doing there. I understand that Quenville has a little more size than Blackhawks 13th forward Dylan Secura does, and Quenville can play a little more physical like Drake Kajula does, but I didn't really understand what that decision was all about. Quenville really only played three minutes of meaningful time. He saw another three minutes in garbage time when the Oilers were already ahead 6-3, to three. 
So I think it's going to be big for the Blackhawks to get Drake Kajula back into their lineup, get all four lines rolling, get Kane solely focused on getting Nylander and Strom going because that line didn't do all that much in game two. Dylan Strom was a minus four. Absolutely horrendous. So I think that's a big focus for the Blackhawks going forward. All right, Tom, let's get right to it here. Finish the rest of the sentence for me. The Edmonton Oilers defeat the Chicago defeat the Chicago Blackhawks in game three if if they continue what they did in game two, and that's uh, getting to pucks quickly, uh, being physical, asserting themselves, and dictating the pace. That's something that the Oilers at times struggle with. They're capable of doing it against the best teams, and it's just a, a maturation thing, Jack. So if Edmonton doesn't you know, rest on its laurels after game two and, and really focuses in and understands that this game starts at 0-0 and, and that they could be facing elimination if they don't win tonight, uh, then then they're going to be in trouble. So they need to just refocus, maintain what they were doing, and clean up a little bit in the defensive zone even still. And for the Blackhawks, I think they defeat the Edmonton Oilers in game three if they don't let Connor McDavid take over the game, which is easier said than done. But he already has four goals and two assists in just two games. I think if the Hawks can limit him to just one point and keep him semi-quiet, it's just ridiculous <laughs> even saying limit him to one point. We're in the NHL here. Uh, limit him, just kind of keep him quiet as they've done with Leon Dreisaitl so far. He does have one goal and two assists in two games, but that kind of feels like a moral victory for us Hawks fans right now, considering what McDavid has done. But I also think the Blackhawks have to get their power play going. I don't think it's a surprise that they came out on top in game one after cashing in for three power play goals. But then in game two, with the game on the line in the second period, they came up empty and went 0 for 4, wound up losing the contest in the third period because they weren't able to corral the lead and take advantage of those opportunities. So I do think the penalty kill, they did have a solid bounce back game, and that's going to be a big key as well. But we need to see the Blackhawks power play pick it up because if they can keep up with the Oilers special teams game, that puts them in a good position to win the five on five battle in order to win the rest of the series. All right, Lockdown Blackhawks listeners, make sure to go follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Gazzola and at Lockdown Oilers for some really good stuff from the Oilers side of things throughout this best of five series. Tom, it's always fun when we get together to do these. Maybe we can join up one more time after the series concludes this weekend for a full recap or something. If you got the time. Always a pleasure, Jack. I'm absolutely up for it, and let's enjoy this game tonight. All right, before I move on to our conversation about the Blackhawks' projected line combinations and some predictions for Game 3, I need to talk about rockauto.com, the best place to shop for all your auto and body needs. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and make sure to tell them the Lockdown Podcast Network sent you. That's rockauto.com for an amazing selection and reliably low prices. Listen, we've all had our share of car problems in the past. How much easier is it when you have an auto and body shop that you can rely on? Well, rockauto.com has your back for all the car parts you'll ever need in any situation. One more time, check out rockauto.com for reliably low prices and an amazing selection, and make sure to let them know the Lockdown Podcast Network sent you. rockauto.com, an auto and body shop that you can trust, for reliably low prices.
I am Jack Bushman, your host of the Locked On Blackhawks podcast. You can reach me on Twitter at JackBushman2 or at Talkin' Hockey, or you can also email the Locked On Blackhawks email, which is LockedOnBlackhawks at gmail.com for any questions you have about the show, myself, or anything that has to do with the NHL's 2014 postseason. So I just finished up talking with Locked On Oilers host Tom Gazzola about his thoughts from the first two games of the series and what the Oilers will look to do in order to come away from tonight's game victorious. Now I want to talk about the Blackhawks here a little bit and their projected lineup for Game 3. So we can expect the Blackhawks to continue to roll with the top line of Dominic Kubalik, Jonathan Taze, and Brandon Saad. And I think those three going early and often is a huge key to a Blackhawks victory tonight. They were completely shut out in Game 2 after racking up 10 points as a trio in Game 1. They need to come out ready to match Connor McDavid and the production from the Edmonton Oilers' top line. It's a safe guess to say that Nylander, Strom, and Kane will be together now that Kane will no longer have to double shift on the Hawks' third line. And to me, it's really important for this line to find success for Chicago. Alex Nylander had a pretty poor Game 2 after a strong effort in Game 1, and then Dylan Strom was a ghost for the Hawks on Monday. He didn't rack up a single stat in the stat sheet besides a minus 4 plus minus rating, but he did win 54% of his faceoffs, which was the best on the team. So the Hawks will need Strom to be much better tonight to get him on the ice for more than he played in Game 2 because the Hawks were able to win just 40% of their faceoffs as a team on Monday. I think it's also huge for the third line to get Drake Kajula back into the lineup after his suspension, as both Debrinket and Doc were really strong in Game 2. They each finished with a plus 3, plus minus rating on the night, even though the Hawks lost by 3 goals. So, hopefully they'll be able to keep their magic going now that they got the scrappy Kajula back alongside them. As for the fourth line of Carpenter, Camp, and Highmore, they kind of just need to keep doing what they have been doing throughout the series. They've been really solid while mostly playing against the Oilers' top six at 5-on-5, five five. and then I thought all three guys gave a solid effort on the PK on Monday, and we're going to need to see more of that for the Hawks to walk away from Game 3 with a win. On defense... I talked about it on yesterday's episode. I think it's all going to be about how Adam Boquist handles his 11 to 14 minutes of even strength play alongside Duncan Keith. In game one, he was fine, but in game two, he struggled tremendously. Keith also cannot be taking two penalties. We need him on the ice for those penalty kills, so those two need to be much more composed for the Blackhawks tonight. Dahan and Murphy, in my opinion, were just okay as a duo. I thought they were solid on the penalty kill, and they did well to keep the puck out of harm's way while shorthanded, but at even strength, those two need to do a better job at getting the puck out of their end swiftly and onto their players' tapes in transition. Mata and Cuckoo have definitely done their part offensively, but they still can tune things up a bit on defense going forward, especially for Oli Mata. We saw him make a couple of bad plays both in the defensive zone and in the neutral zone on Monday, and he also took a bad penalty there, so we need we need him to be playing better in the extended role that he'll likely see with Adam Boquist seeing limited even strength ice time. In that, Corey Crawford needs to clean things up a little bit. I don't think it was his fault that the Hawks lost game two, but he did let in a couple soft goals, there's no denying that, and then his turnover behind the net really put a damper on the mood and 
overall cost the team the game. So I think Crow needs to come out ready tonight from the get-go as the Oilers have been able to score in the first couple of minutes in both games so far. As for a prediction, oof, I expect the Hawks to come out much more prepared than they were for Game 2. I think a key to this game is riding out the storm early and understanding what the Oilers are going to try and do right out of the gate. If the Blackhawks can survive that first period and come out ahead or tied, I really like their chances of winning this game. I think the Hawks will come out on top tonight by a score of 5-3. to three. We've seen a lot of high-scoring affairs so far. I think that will continue tonight. So I think the Hawks will win 5-3, to three, led by Jonathan Taze, who I think is in for another multi-goal contest here for the Blackhawks, as both he and the top line bounce back for a gigantic Game 3 victory. Alright, so I think that is going to wrap up Wednesday, August 5th's episode of Locked On Blackhawks. Thank you again for tuning into the show, and as always, be sure to subscribe and follow the Locked On Blackhawks podcast for free right now on your favorite podcast app, and you'll get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. And after the show, ask your smart device to play the Locked On NHL podcast for all the latest news surrounding the current 2014 postseason. Thank you again for tuning into today's episode. I am your host, Jack Bushman. You can catch me on Twitter at my personal account, at JackBushman2, or my Blackhawks account, at TalkinHockey. For any questions at all regarding anything related to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, you can always email LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com or call 708-653-0572 to leave a voicemail. So until tomorrow's episode, go Hawks. Let's get a big win tonight, baby. Thanks again for listening to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, your team every day.